Jennifer Stefano. And the headline here, Do Nothing Dems in the Pennsylvania House Holding Bipartisan Reforms Hostage. What's going on here, Jen? Good morning. Good morning, Don. Thanks for having me on. Well, look, uh, right before Christmas, uh, the Speaker of the House, Joanna Clinton, decided that there was a leak. There was, well, there was. There was a leak in the roof. And she said, we cannot possibly meet now until March. I mean, it's ludicrous. The, the real reason is, let's be really clear, the, the, the Democrats are up by one seat in the House, and there's a vacancy, which means that they're not in charge of the House. So they had to shut it down while they were, and now they're hoping they're going to go have this election and hope to fill the seat with another Democrat. But um, this is exactly the type of thing that makes people nuts and makes them cynical about government and frustrates them. And more importantly, it's holding up bipartisan, bipartisan reforms that our state needs. So it, it's really frustrating. And uh, just to be clear, it's it's the lower, is it this one's the lower buck special election to determine control of the Pennsylvania House? Right. right. And, and, and again, there, there have been a number of retirements, vacancies, the primaries coming up, but also you know, in November, I, I think um, the question of whether Democrats are ever going to be able to hold that one seat majority is is questionable. But right now, there are there are seats up for grabs that are likely to go Democrat. Right. So the makeup of the House is likely to remain the same. I think that uh, could change come November. And so in that one, just so everybody knows what it is, it's uh, Republican Candace Cabanas. Is it Cabanas or Cabanas? Cabanas. Cabanas. Good question. Good like, question on how. Well, think of this. I always call my husband Larry Menti my Cabana boy, kiddingly. Um, so it looks like the word Cabana with an S. That's how you can remember Candace. Uh, Candace right. Cabanas. And then Democrat Jim Prokopiak. And that one determines party controls PA House. And it's obviously we're tied up. So basically, I mean, this one's crazy. And Jen, I had talked about this before the break and said, I think it's even after St. Patty's Day or something crazy that they're not. So what are they doing in the meantime? They say that they're meeting, what, via Zoom? I mean, they're not doing it. Look, they're they're (laughs) just up. They're holding up um, things that need to get done. And the one thing I kind of looked at this in, in my column through the loneliness epidemic that's happening in our state and in certainly Philadelphia has declared it a problem. And part of that, Don, is that so many people are leaving Pennsylvania. And if you're born and raised here in Philly, like I am, you, nobody left. Nobody ever left. I mean, you, you grew up, you grew up pretty much on the same block. Um, I grew up in my grandmother's house. Everybody stayed close by. And that's really has changed. Um, in our Commonwealth Foundation polling, we found, you know, I think upwards upwards of over 40% of people now either know someone who's left, um, is considering leaving, or they themselves are thinking of leaving. I mean, those are big numbers. Yeah, they really are. Take me through it as far as you're talking about this. And I will also say we have a situation with education funding here, and yeah. we're, we're heading toward a crisis in that one. I know that the, the board had come back on that one and said, well, because of the all the rulings, the court rulings that have said ultimately our education funding um, is un, you know, not, not fair, not equitable, as they say, we have to redo it. And the recommendation by Shapiro's people, mostly Democrats, is, well, 
sorry, folks, we got to raise your property taxes big time. Ridiculous. It's completely unnecessary. The, the problem is that, the, the, first of all, they, they too often the Democrats look at what public education is narrowly. To them, public education is government-run education. That's a very myopic and antiquated way to understand education. Instead, we should think of it as all education is public education, that the that, that public has a vested interest in every child being educated. And it doesn't have to be through a centrally planned government-run system. If the money went to the child, followed the child, and the money were in the hands of parents, and the state sort of just said there are all these types of schools that can be designated and classified as schools, whether it's homeschooling, there's some things called outschooling, um, there's all sorts of different types of schools, and the money can flow to these institutions. And, yes, you can still have centrally planned, government-run, public, traditional public schools. You can have charter schools, but everybody would then compete on a level playing field, and you wouldn't have these wars. There could be... Um, LGBTQ-friendly schools that, that focus on that. There could be classical Christian schools. There could be Muslim schools, um, Hebrew schools, and all of it could be considered public. We just need to broaden how we think about education. Yeah, absolutely. And and by the way, that's one of the issues, the voucher program or, or those Lifeline scholarships. It's a huge issue, I know, even in the in the Bucks County election that we talked about mm-hmm. with Republicans making it a priority, supporting the choice that you're talking about, supporting the Lifeline scholarships, which, by the way, would be for the I mean, there's a there's a it's not for wealthy people because they actually make in, in the law that you you have to be under a certain poverty level. Right. That's right. That's right. You'd have to be making seventy five thousand dollars for a family of four. Now, what in some states it's universal, right? Like in Arizona, um, the education, the Lifeline scholarships are universal. It goes to every kid. And when you think about it, in here in in Pennsylvania, as with everywhere in the country, if a billionaire's child wants to go to the public school, we pay all that money for them. It would actually be cheaper to, uh, for us to move to a Lifeline scholarship model, especially for the wealthy, rather than having those kids come into the system. But um, nobody wants to hear that right now. So in Pennsylvania, yes, it's, it's only for people living at a certain percentage of the poverty level. It's for children in the catchment of failing schools. So it primarily benefits um, low-income children of color. And they are falling woefully behind. In, in my column prior, I talked about how black children are, are coming out of third grade, going into fourth at a 7% reading proficiency. 7%. That means, I mean, this is outrageous. You know, you have over 90% now not not being able to read or do math at, at, at grade level proficiency. My, my thought is the system is not working for them. It's not working for them. And, and instead of continuing to throw money at it and lie and say, oh, don't worry, more money will fix it, it won't. Why do I know that? Because we continue to increase spending year after year, decade after decade, and no discernible change in results. The system doesn't work for these children, so let these children go to schools and to find places that do. Let these children have the choice. Let their families have a choice. You can't keep holding people down like this. I want to pivot as we're talking to Jennifer Stefano, of course, 
who's a biggity big executive veep at Commonwealth Foundation and wears many hats, certainly, but a proud native Philadelphian and Pennsylvanian, as as well as somebody who has um, certainly you've been on the side of reporting the news. You've been on the private sector side. You've been on the public sector side. But in this one, Jennifer Stefano, excuse me, you talk about the numbers from the Commonwealth Foundation talking about Pennsylvanian support to expand the access to things like telehealth. And you're also talking about a number of other issues. Um, so take me through that one as far as telehealth and what and corporate taxation as well. But take me through the telehealth issue. That was something that we learned a lot about, Jen, especially during the pandemic and the benefits of it. That's right. Uh, look, when the pandemic hit, it was suddenly, you know, we weren't allowed outside. We had to wear masks. Everyone was afraid of dying. And so we have all the technology in the world to do telehealth appointments. But Pennsylvania and Governor Wolf refused to properly clarify the law about um, seeing doctors across state line. And I wrote in the Philadelphia Inquirer about my friend April, who is now mm-hmm. on hospice, I'm but sorry. she had stage four, thank you, she had stage four metastatic breast cancer. And she had, before she started her treatments, she had, they, you have to get a second opinion before your treatments start. And the reason is, Dawn, when you have that kind of cancer, it, 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 there's no hope unless you can get in a clinical trial. But if you start your traditional treatments before knowing whether or not you can get in a clinical trial, you could lose the opportunity. And the only way she was going to be able to do it was to do a telehealth appointment at Sloan Kettering in New Jersey. And, and guess what they said to her? Call your, call your governor. We can't do it. And it became this whole episode where she had to get an emergency waiver. And this is happening to people in other states. One woman in New York has to, had to drive four hours to cross the state line into Massachusetts so she could do a telemedicine for her cancer. Um, and, and instead of because of these arbitrary and capricious laws that are rooted in an old, on an old, on a world that no longer exists. And these, these governors need to take action. The House and let lawmakers need to take action. And the reason I specifically wrote about that in this column is I go back again to the loneliness epidemic and how much people are suffering and how they do need mental health help. And guess what? Mental health is a perfect, telemedicine is a great vehicle for addressing some mental health issues. So that that certainly was one of the reasons I wrote about it. And some areas, Dawn, even in Philadelphia, there simply aren't enough providers. Certainly true in Appalachia. Not enough providers. It's it's terrible. And so ultimately, which states? So what you're saying, what I'm inferring from you is uh, New Jersey, as opposed to Pennsylvania, New Jersey is a little better for telemedicine than Pennsylvania. But there are other states, maybe Florida, maybe Arizona, that have that should be more of a model for the nation. Yeah, what I think we want to look at and and even places like Maryland, by the way, who Mm -hmm. Um, has far less regulation and frees up their nurse practitioners, not just on telehealth, but just for their nurse practitioners to operate and run clinics. Um, as where in Pennsylvania, the nurse practitioners must be under a doctor. So you're creating shortages because you're taking two healthcare providers at a high level and saying, well, one has to work under the other. As where in Maryland, the nurse practitioners can work on their own. They can start their own practices. And you're seeing better health outcomes in Maryland. So it's simple. It's things that most of us don't think about 
or we don't know why we're frustrated with the system or why there's such a long wait. It's, it's because of a lot of little regulations like this that really are bipartisan. There's no ideological argument here. It's just a matter of getting it done. And, of course, when your house won't come in because they're moisture-averse from a leaky <laughs> roof, um, it is all the more frustrating because this is people's lives. Yeah. Uh, also, the Commonwealth Foundation finding a percentage, a huge percentage of Pennsylvanians support lowering the corporate tax rate. Can you talk about that a little bit? Right, look, we chase businesses away. There was nothing worse than last year, um, our legacy business here in Pennsylvania, out in the West, U.S. Steel, gave a multi-billion dollar project to Arkansas. Okay, we lost a major U.S. Steel industry project to Arkansas. Now, we're the, everybody in Philly knows, we're the shift workers. We have worked in these industries Forever, blue-collar workers are who and what we're made of, right? Mm-hmm. And that that and skilled, skilled labor who are used to long hours and shift work and and, and keeping factories running, we lost a multi-billion-dollar investment to Arkansas. And then the Arkansas governor at the time, Hutchinson, uh, basically trolled us and said, "We'll have this facility up, running, and built." before Pennsylvania even gets the permits filled out. And you know what? He's right. And we're going to keep losing the businesses, which means, Don, we're going to keep losing people, which I go back to the loneliness epidemic. We are losing our communities and our families. It's terrible. Yeah, it, it's it's awful as you write about this. Everybody can check you out, Jennifer Stefano, as you break it down in your latest op-ed piece in the Philadelphia Inquirer. What else is going on? What are you looking forward to as you look toward this week? We've got a lot of poll numbers. Do you believe the polls? Do you even take stock? I'm just going to ask you this off the cuff, Jennifer Stefano, Executive Vice President of the Commonwealth Foundation. I mean, when you look at these national polls, a lot of people wake up this morning and go, oh, look at the polls, Biden, Trump, or here in Pennsylvania. Do you how How much do you value these, and how do you parse between the national polls, as well as state-by-state or local? Yeah, so I do look at uh, the pollsters. As someone who does polling, I take polls seriously, yes. And I think it's important to look at sample size and how they, you know, who and what was overrepresented because you can try to see different things with different polls. And you have to be careful. Some are what I call push polls, where they're looking for certain types of answers, right? But what I would say about elections, just if you want to talk about the presidential election, is that remember when you're looking at election polling today, they are only polling registered voters. Now, that is not likely voters, because as we all know, that a lot of registered voters don't ever get out and vote. Only closer to November, right, starting in, say, September, will they start to ask the question, are you likely to vote? And that's, I think, when you really can understand what is what's trending in terms of who's going to get up, get out, and show support. I think right now what you're seeing is whose messaging and whose um, brand is working with different demographic groups. But I think it's very fluid right now. I would not assume because something's good or bad for the person you want to win that that is going to be the definitive. And again, look, this is America. You just do not know 
what is going to happen. And we, we are likely to have two older gentlemen mm-hmm. um, running for office. And I wish no harm to either of them, certainly. But yeah. I, I do think we have to think about that that could play a role. I mean, they're both. Um, what is the new word for for, for being? <laughs> is it elderly? Is it what? But yeah, I mean, it is a consideration, right? Yeah. And and I wish no harm to either of them, truly. But I I think that is a dynamic that could come into play. You just don't know. Yeah, I mean, you look at somebody like Reagan, who was able to energize the youth vote, even though he was a senior citizen, but nobody mm-hmm. at the time thought of him as that. So I think you're right. It's who who gets energized, or contrarily, who. Will both candidates just, you know, bore people? And then you'll have the, the R's, the regular, usual suspects, the R's and the D's, and they won't have, you know, the youth vote, the Hispanic vote, or maybe the black vote come out in full force and get excited. So yeah, I- and right now, that's a huge problem for the Democrats. In Philadelphia, certainly, um, black and Hispanic voters have not been turning out. I know in Michigan, everyone's talking about, um, President Biden losing support among the Muslims. Well, in Michigan, there's only about 150,000 Muslims that are going to vote as to where um, blue-collar workers make up 21% mm-hmm. of the people who come out to vote. And um, blacks and Hispanics do as well. And blacks and Hispanics and blue-collar workers, um, certainly blacks and Hispanics, are, are, are being more and more turned off by the Democratic Party. And so I, I, that is, those numbers are much more statistically significant than the Muslim vote. It's not that we shouldn't care about the Muslim vote or that they're angry at, at President Biden, but they, they're not going to flip that election. He only won, there were only 30, there was a differentiation between, in the Muslim neighborhoods in Michigan between Trump and Biden of 38,000 voters that went to Biden. So even if that reversed, Biden won the state by 150,000 voters. He would still win the state if the Muslims didn't support him. As to where, um, if if blacks and Hispanics and those blue-collar union workers don't show up in Michigan, he's got a real problem. And remember, Trump was able to win them over uh, in 16. Well, Jennifer Stefano, executive VEEP of the Commonwealth Foundation, and uh, we'll check out, I encourage everybody to check out your latest op-ed, Do Nothing Dems in the PA House, holding bipartisan reforms hostage in the Inquirer today. Thanks, Jennifer. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you, Don. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Until next time, Jennifer Stefano. She's the best.